Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I'm talking about you and the position and the power that you have over your own life. Because who's in better position to decide what's best for your life than you are? Who has the power? Who has the right to decide what you want to do with your life and and how you want to spend your life and what you want to do with your life? Have you ever been afraid of something or someone? Sure, we all know what it feels like to be afraid. This may seem like a strange question to ask, but have you ever been afraid of Jesus? You have a very good reason to be afraid because that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do, to lose our position and our power to lose it to Him. Hi, and welcome to Crosswalk. We're nearing the end of our series through the book of Mark entitled, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us through the last part of chapter 14, where Jesus is on trial by the religious leaders. As Pastor Clay is going to explain, the root of their hatred for Jesus was that they were afraid of Him. It seems hard to comprehend that someone could be afraid of Jesus, the one who loved us enough to die for us. But as you'll hear today, there are still plenty of people who are afraid of Jesus for the same reason the religious leaders were. And as we'll also discover today, there was someone else there at the trial of Jesus that had his own fears to deal with. We're so glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. What I see in this text is people being afraid of Jesus. Now that may sound like a strange uh, statement. You may say, well, that's, that's weird. Why would anybody be afraid of Jesus? Jesus loves us. Jesus does love us. But I'm telling you that there are people, there are probably people in this room today who are afraid of Jesus. Let me try and explain what I mean by that. You can get, go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 if you want. Of course, uh, we will have the text on the screen as we do every week. But in this text, uh, there are two different reasons that people are afraid of Jesus. And and I want you to hear it because you may be in one of these two camps. Maybe you're not, but you may be. I want to start with the the first reason people are afraid of Jesus. And then we're going to read the text. But it starts like this this morning. If you'd like to fill in blanks, you've got an outline on the back of your information sheet. People are afraid... People are afraid of what they will lose to Jesus. Starting in verse 53 uh, this morning. Now listen. Listen. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving uh, false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, Well, we heard him say, uh, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. But not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up, came forward, and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? 
What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. It's a quote of Daniel seven thirteen, a, a prophecy about the Messiah. Verse 63, tearing his clothes. And that's a, most of you guys know this, that's a Mideastern custom. That's a way of, of expressing uh, just, it can be anger, it can be uh, sorrow, it can be, you know, emotion, whatever. But they, they, they literally would rip their garments, they'd throw dust into the air. It was just, it's just a Mideastern thing. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him, to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, prophesy! And the officers received received him with slaps in the face. Pray with me this morning. Father, uh, it is, uh, this is a, a somber text and passage, and it it, it leads us to the cross uh, that we'll be looking at over the next uh, couple of weeks. And can, we, can, we, can I just stop a minute and say I'm sorry that you had to go through what you went through for me? I, uh, I can't ever repay you. I can't uh, ever begin to deserve what you did for me. But even beginning with this trial, in some a mystical way that I will never understand, I believe that even in that moment, I was on your heart and you were doing this for me. Today, I'm asking that you speak in and through me to the hearts and lives and minds of these people, to the children, to the adults, to every person in this room, whatever age we are. May we just be open to what your spirit would say to us today. And may we reflect on our own life and ask that question. Is there something I'm afraid of Jesus about? Uh, Lord, may you be uh, glorified always. And may we be uh, edified and whatever else we need in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's interesting that um, the high priest seems to know real quickly that the only person in that room that's going to tell the truth is Jesus. They try and get false witnesses. They've paid false witnesses to come in. And according to their law, they needed at least two of these witnesses to agree. They had to agree on whatever the charge was they were going to bring against Jesus. And, and they can't get their stories straight, and they're conflicting with each other's stories. The high priest is clearly an intelligent man. He probably gets a little frustrated, and then this idea pops into his head. Jesus, he'll tell the truth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would not respond to a false accusation? And you find that in the other gospel writers as well, that whenever something false was being said, he doesn't even respond. But when the truth is being spoken, Jesus responds, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? You bet I am. You bet I am. And then he quotes, as I said a moment ago, and then he quotes Daniel seven thirteen, an Old Testament prophecy about the, the coming Messiah. But, but the religious leaders have got this whole thing worked out, don't they? They've got this whole thing worked out. They're waiting there 
when, when, the, when the guards bring Jesus in, by the way, it's, it's my understanding that they're not even supposed to be having this trial. It's not even legal to have a trial at night for a Jew. But let's face it, Jesus' legal rights was not a high priority for the religious leaders there in Israel. What was a high priority for them was getting rid of Jesus. Why? Did you ever think about that? I mean, what's the big deal? He, he, he's just one rabbi. They were afraid. They were afraid of what they would lose to Jesus. They were afraid that they would lose the two most precious things in the entire world to them, their position and their power. And listen to me. Listen to me. I realize this is background. I realize this is historical, but I want you to hear it. We're going to tie it in just into our lives in just a moment. But listen to me. They had a very good reason to be afraid of what they were going to lose to Jesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. They had a very good reason for being afraid of losing their position and their power. Because that's what he calls us to do. They bring him in. They begin to question him. Jesus makes the truth statement. They tear their robes. We have no further need. He's guilty. We've all heard it. We're the witnesses now. We've heard this blasphemy. What do you think we ought to do? We ought to, we ought to, he's, he's warranted death. He ought to be put to death. What? He's just one rabbi. Look, here's what I want you to see. Look at, look at the response. Why don't you look at the response? In, in, uh, yeah, we'll leave it up here. In Luke 11, Jesus has made, made this statement that, let's face it, it's, just, it's not going to make him real popular with these guys, right? What he says, how terrible for you, you experts on the law. You've taken away the key to learning about God. You yourselves would not learn, and you stopped others from learning too. I, I'm thinking not, not well received by those guys, right? And, and quite honestly, the fact that he uh, just openly called them hypocrites and children of the devil probably didn't gain him a nomination for rabbi of the year from these guys. And then you talk about a game-changing statement. Watch this. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to, say it, fulfill. Oh, oh. Now, wait a minute. These guys are the keepers of the law. These guys are the experts on the law. Now, listen, these were the guys that had taken the law that God had given to Moses and the children of Israel way back when they were wandering in the wilderness, the, the Ten Commandments and the, Le, the Levitical laws and the ceremonial laws and the dietary laws and the moral laws. And given to all, God had given those to Moses and the children of Israel. These were the guys that had taken that law and they had corrupted that law. They had added to that law and they corrupted the law and they, they had turned it into a, a works religion. Y'all understand what that is? where you can earn God's, they had turned it into a works salvation instead of what God had always intended the law to be, namely a compass to guide them to him. And now uh, this radical rabbi comes along and says, hey, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I'm not, not about abolishing the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, there, and you can just see, you know, boop, you can just see the light bulbs go off. Oh, oh. Now, wait a minute. When, when he's talking about you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hey, we, we're okay with that. When, when he talks about love your neighbor uh, as yourself, okay, whatever. 
When he, when he talks about uh, treating others the way you'd want to be treated, all right, we, we, can, we can live with that. But when he starts talking about the fact that the law is fulfilled in him, where does that leave us, the keepers of the law? Suddenly there's no longer a need for the keepers of the law. And they can see the handwriting on the wall. So, look at the result, or, or the response, sorry. Resentment and retaliation. Listen, I know I'm on the RE thing, but go with it. Resentment and retaliation. They bring him in. They put on this mock trial. They convict him in, in, in their minds of blasphemy. They spit on him. They begin to punch him with their fists in the face. They mock him. They ridicule him. It is nothing but pure resentment and retaliation for who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. They resented Jesus coming along and declaring that he was the fulfillment of the law. They resented the fact that Jesus uh, was calling what they were doing sin. They resented the fact that Jesus claimed there was one way to heaven and, and he was it. They resented his popularity. And so it's nothing but pure retaliation. This is their chance. This is their time. This is their opportunity to get back at this radical rabbi for the way he has treated them. Who talks to us that way? Who says that kind of stuff to us? Doesn't he know who we are? Oh yeah, he knew exactly who they were, didn't he? What they were. The self-absorbed, self-centered, self-appointed keepers of the law. And Jesus just told them that he was the fulfillment of the law. So in resentment and retaliation, they strike out at him. Listen. Guess what? Guess what happens today? The exact same thing. People, still people today, are afraid of what they will lose to Jesus. And guess what they're afraid they're going to lose? The exact same thing that the religious leaders were afraid that they would lose. Namely, position and power. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I, 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 don't, I don't have any position. I, I don't have any power. I, I beg to differ with you. I, I would say virtually every person in here has some form of position and or power in their life and or over their life. So, so don't just think, you know, big political people or, or head CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. No, I'm, I'm talking about you and the position and the power that you have over your own life. Because who's in better position to decide what's best for your life than you are? Who has the power? Who has the right to decide what you want to do with your life and and how you want to spend your life and what you want to uh, do, whatever it is, or where you want to go with your life? You see, that's often what happens. That's often why people end up rejecting Jesus. They're afraid of what they will lose to him, their position and their power. And I'll say it again. You have a very good reason to be afraid. Because that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. To lose our position and our power, whatever that might be in this world or in our own life, to lose it to him. Because listen, whatever else a a person knows, when they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if we see a person come to Jesus Christ and we celebrate that fact, they may not understand everything theologically about uh, 
their relationship with God and, and how that all works together. They may not uh, know all the Bible verses and all that stuff, but one of the things we better make sure that we help them understand is that when you come to Christ, it is with an understanding that he is Lord. He is Lord. And whatever position or, or power, whatever authority you think you have over your life, it comes under his authority. It comes under his authority. You submit to his will. Listen to me, guys. You submit to his will for your life. Now, listen, I know, I know submit is not a popular word in our current culture, right? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be holy. I'd rather watch this thing on television that I want to see that, that's not godly. And I'm pretty sure God not approved. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not watching it, but I want to watch it. I don't, I don't want to give my money back to God. I don't want to uh, not have that. I don't want to, you know, all, all, you know, right? We can think of a million things. But here's the deal. If you're going to do the Jesus thing, you might as well get used to that word. You might as well get used to that word, submit, because that is the call for a follower of Jesus Christ, to submit our lives to his authority over our lives. And the reason people resent and retaliate against, against Jesus and against Christianity in general is oftentimes because they are afraid of what they're going to lose. They're going to lose their right, what they see as their right to decide what their life is going to be and how they're going to live their life. And, and maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I, I don't want to submit to Jesus' authority over my life. So, look at the result. Rejection. They reject it the religious leaders, they rejected Jesus Christ as the only means of, of salvation or forgiveness from their sins, right? They rejected it. He had been saying it plainly, clearly. He had just said it again, right? You bet I am. By the way, it, one, of the, one of the things, if you ever get into a dialogue with, with, a, with a person of, of Islamic faith, Muslims, one of the things that they'll say is that Jesus never, Jesus never claimed to be God, I don't even know what they do with verses like the one we just looked at. I don't know if they, I don't know when, when Jesus said, when they said, are you, the, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed one? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I, I don't even know what they, they do with that. Today's version of, of militant atheism that is not just content to say, leave me alone, I don't believe in God. No, no, no. Militant atheism says, not only do I not believe in God, I'm not going to let you believe in God. I'm going to make sure that nobody has the right to believe in God. It is, it is resent, whether they realize it or not, ultimately, it is resentment and it is retaliation. It's the, the attack against Christianity, against God's moral codes, against God's moral standards. That attack, whether they realize it or whether they certainly would never admit it, it is based on their fear. They're afraid of what they're going to lose to Jesus. It's my life. I can live it the way I want. I can make the choices I want. I can do what I want. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. That's, that's just the way it is. Listen, the Apostle Paul calls himself a bond servant. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Titus 1.1. 1, 1. James calls himself a bond servant. James 1.1. 1, 1. Jude calls himself a bond servant. Jude 1.1. 1, 1. Peter calls himself a bond servant. 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. John calls himself a bond servant. Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. That's a who's who list, ladies and gentlemen, of the leaders of the early church. Those are the guys with all the authority and all the power in the early church. And yet, here's what they understood. They understood that it was far better to be a bondservant to the living God than to be a king of men. A bondservant, by the way, is a person who signs up for the deal. 
who voluntarily places themselves. It's not, it's not someone comes and captures you and makes you their slave. No, no, no. That's not the idea of a bondservant. The idea of a bondservant is a person who voluntarily says, I want to place myself under the authority of this other person. So they reject him. Listen, can I tell you this? They rejected God's sacrifice. Listen to me, you need to hear this. So God rejected them. He rejected their attempt to earn their salvation by being the keepers of the law. Have you seen this passage, Acts chapter 4? Seen this passage, Scripture, verse 11 and 12? For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, let me, let me say this, then I'll move on. If you're here today, and that's, and, and you could honestly say, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am. I'm, I'd never thought of it that way. I've never, I'd never put it in those words. I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose to Jesus. If I, if, I, if I go all in, if I surrender, if I, if I give my life to him, I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose Jesus. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my power. I'm going to lose my authority. Listen, I want you to hear me say this this morning. Or anyone listening or watching this, the fact that you are still here means that it's not too late. It's not too late. For you. It is for the religious leaders. They made their choice, and they will bear the eternal consequence of their decision to reject Christ. But listen to me, it's not too late for any of you. Here's what you need to do. If you happen to be, if you happen to look at your life and say, that's, you know, I, that's why I put this Jesus thing off, I've rejected it, and, th- and that's, really, that's the reason why. I, I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose to him. Listen to me. Here's what you need to do. You need to stop being afraid of what you will lose to Jesus, and you just need to give it all to Jesus. And then you don't have anything to be afraid of. Unless you happen to be part of the second group, which looks like this. People are afraid of what they will lose for Jesus. Verse 66. Y'all still here? Some people are afraid of what they'll lose to Jesus. But some people are afraid of what they'll lose for Jesus. And I, I would probably say, in, in a church setting, there might be more that could possibly be in that camp than perhaps the first. As Peter was below in the courtyard, remember him? Thought Mark had left him. Well, he did for a little while. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean too. Matthew 22 uh, tells us that his accent gave him away. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man that you're talking about. I don't know him. Blankety blank blanks. Immediately. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he began to weep. Yeah, remember Peter? (laughs) Mark left Peter in verse 54, I think it is. Mark Mark left Peter hanging out there, warming himself by the fire. But let me let you all in on a little something, if you haven't learned this yet. God is never content to let us be content warming ourselves by the fire if we are not where he wants us to be. Y'all all right? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Peter's just gonna, he's gonna kind of follow, see what happens. He's warming himself by the fire. He's just hanging out. Uh-uh. 
<laughs> After all, Peter is the one, right? Peter is the one who said that he would be with Jesus no matter what. Peter is the one who said, I'll stick with Jesus. If I, even, if I have to die, I'm, I'm going to stick with Jesus. Peter is the one who refused to even believe Jesus when he said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't even didn't believe him. Well, listen, the sun is coming up, the rooster is warming up, and Peter is about to end up broken over this thing. And that's not all a bad thing. But first, we have to recognize that Peter, big, bold, brash Peter, was afraid. He was afraid of what he would lose for Jesus, namely his life and his liberty. Because they were going to take it away if he stands up and says, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's afraid that he's going to lose it, right? So let's look at the, at the, the go ahead, Tyler, go to the result. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus makes a statement. He who has lost his life, uh, he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Right? Because this is the central truth. Just like with the religious leaders, the sa- just like Peter, same thing is true today. People are afraid of what they will lose for Jesus. So uh, they have very good reason, right? Right? You have very good reason to be afraid of what you will lose for Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that said, if you, you, you found your life, you're going to lose it. If you lost your life for my sake, you'll find it. Then in, in uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, what does that even mean anyway? Jesus is always talking that way. I don't even, what does that even mean? Find life, lose life, lose life, find life. What does that even mean? Well, I, I think Paul does a pretty good job of explaining it. In Galatians chapter 2, it kind of looks like this. Apostle Paul says, I was put to death on the cross with Christ. I do not live anymore. Well, now, wait a minute. No, Paul, you weren't at the cross. You, you didn't literally physically die at the cross. I know. It is Christ who lives me. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to save me. That, that's, that's the same thing. That's what Jesus is saying, that I, that I count my life as dead. I'm, I'm dead. I, I died Spiritually speaking, I placed myself on the cross, not to earn my salvation, but, but I'm identifying with Christ, and, and my life is gone. I don't live that life anymore. I'm not the same person anymore. I'm, I'm gone from that person. Christ lives in me now. This is who I am. This is what my life is about. This is what I do. I will live. I will walk by faith, because that will be my life from now on. That's That's losing life and liberty for the cause of Christ. Because that's the call. Afraid of what you will lose for Jesus? The exact same thing Peter was afraid that he would lose. Life and liberty. That's the deal. That's what you sign up for. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Now, watch this. I'm going to bring it to a close here in just a minute. Watch this. Uh, Go ahead, Tyler. Let's look at the response. Remorse and repentance. Remorse and repentance. Mark says, when the, when the cock crowed, right? Hey, hey, you're, you're, a, a, you're one of those followers of Jesus. I am not. He goes out on the porch. Hey, he's one of them. I am not. He's just minding his own business, warming himself by the fire. Surely you're one of them. We recognize your accent. You're a country boy. We can tell it. 
You're a Galilean. You're one of them. Well, you, you bleepity blank, blank, bleep, bleep, bleeps. I tell you, I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. I am not. You sons of bleeps can all go to bleep. I, I am not one of him. One of them. I, I don't know him. No, actually, that's probably the worst rooster impersonation in the history of the world. But the point is, Peter was afraid in that moment. And the, and the fear was real, right? The fear, is, the, the fear is there. Have you ever been in that situation? Oh, oh are, you, are you a Christian? At work, somebody ever said, are you a Christian? And you're like, and in that moment, he, he had fear. And the text says that when the rooster crowed, Mark says that he wept. Matthew and Luke both record that he whipped, wept bitterly. Luke tells us, I think in 2261, Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed for the second time that Jesus turned and looked right at Peter. I am of the belief that it was that look that broke the prideful heart of Peter. And so we're left with this response, remorse and repentance. Did Peter feel bad over what he did? Absolutely. Absolutely, he felt bad. But listen to me. Listen, this is, this is probably a, a, a good word. This is something y'all need to hear today. Let me put it up on the screen for you. Peter didn't get stuck in his past mistakes. Peter moved forward in his future mission. That's what you need to hear. That's what you need to understand. Did he feel bad over what he did? Sure. He had remorse? Absolutely. But he didn't get stuck there. He didn't live the rest of his life there. He didn't, he didn't hang out there. He moved forward in his future mission. You see, that's really what repentance is. Now, remorse is part of repentance, but repentance, as as the New Testament understands, repentance, guys, repentance is turning around. It's doing a 180. It's going in a whole new direction. That's what repentance is. It's going in a whole new direction. I used to to do this. I used to make my choices. I used to choose to uh, not be involved with Jesus stuff, or I, I used to like to get into watching stuff I shouldn't, you know, or or whatever else it might be. But now in repentance, I'm turning around and I'm going in a new direction. I'm walking away from that life that I led before and I'm walking in a new direction. That's what, that's what repentance is. Sure, Peter feels bad, but he's not going to stay there. And here's the reason why. Look at the response. The result, uh, restoration, restoration. Now, uh, Mark doesn't record it, even in the, in the last two chapters. Mark, Mark doesn't uh, tell us this, but we know from the other gospel writers that Jesus intentionally called Peter out when, when he was back together with the other disciples after the resurrection. He, he called Peter out and he asked him three times whether he loved him to basically cancel out the three times that he denied him. It's restoration. Listen, do you hear me? Restoration. God is a God of restoration. Do you hear me? God is a God of restoration. Oh, well, you, uh, you just don't understand. You, you don't understand how many promises I've made to God and broken. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand that at all. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't know the sin that I've had in my life. You don't know the influence I've had over other people. You don't know the mistakes that I've made in my life. God, God, just, God couldn't keep on forgiving me. Yeah, I, I get that. If I were God, I probably wouldn't forgive you. So maybe the best news you'll hear today is that I'm not God and neither are you. And while our mercy and our grace and our forgiveness and our physical limitations may have limits, God's does not. He is the God of second chances and third chances. 
and fourth chances. He is the God who picks us up every single, every single time that you or I blow it. He is the God who picks us up and he dusts us off and he says, okay, my child, let's go. Let's go again. Let's start this thing. Listen, here's a good word for you, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a good word for you. Repentance will always lead to restoration. Every single time when you genuinely in your heart and you say, God, I've blown it. I've blown it again. And listen, I'm sorry to break this to you, but you're probably going to blow it again. And so am I. Every single time we act in a way that God would not be pleased or we, we delve into sin, whatever the case may be, repentance, genuine, authentic repentance, remorse and turning around and going in a new direction always leads to restoration. And if you understand, listen to me, if you understand that verse, you understand that it's not a license to sin, it's a license to be set free from sin. Are you afraid of Jesus? Honestly, just your life, when you think about it. Are you afraid, perhaps, of what you will lose to Jesus? Or are you afraid, perhaps, of what you will lose for Jesus? Because, yeah, that's the deal you're signing up for. My life is no longer mine. My liberty is no longer mine. God, do with me what will bring you the greatest glory. God, take me to wherever would bring you the greatest glory. God, use me in whatever way that will bring you the greatest glory. Are you all okay? You ready to sign up for that one? Because that's exactly what he's calling us to. And if your understanding of Christianity, listen to me. If your understanding of Christianity is that you can pray some prayer so that you can get into heaven and just go on and basically make your own choices, live your own life, do your own thing. If that's your understanding of Christianity, you have absolutely, totally missed the biblical understanding of what it truly means to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You've missed it. Because to follow Christ means absolute, unconditional surrender of your life. Guys, honestly, a- after, after 30 years of walking with Jesus, I'm going to tell you this from the bottom of my heart, with every ounce of honesty that I have in me, you don't have to be afraid of what you will lose to Jesus or what you will lose for Jesus. What you need to be afraid of is what you will lose without Jesus. Thanks, Pastor. As we heard today, there are some people who are afraid of what they will lose to Jesus. They are the people caught up in this world and the trappings of this world who can't imagine giving control of his or her life to Jesus Christ. Like the religious leaders, they resist bending their knee to the Savior. But then we also looked at Peter, who was afraid of what he would lose for Jesus. In his pride and self-reliance, Peter thought he could handle anything. But when the pressure was on, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you can identify with the fear Peter felt. But like Peter, when we turn in repentance to God, we find restoration waiting for us. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. 
Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread. But I know the place where your soul is fed So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed I want to lead you to the cross I want to lead you to the cross I want to lead you to the cross Cross Culture Church Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.